0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a mastermind facilitator, a best-selling author, and a speaker. I love taking these nonprofit leadership topics on the road or into your Zoom room. If you need someone for your next conference or workshop, check out my new speaking page at PattonMcDowell.com for more information. Well, I've got another great conversation to share with you today, and it's with Amy Burkett, who is not only a nonprofit executive herself, she's also a John Maxwell certified trainer, speaker, and coach. And as you'll hear from this conversation, she is not afraid of a topic that is lurking in every one of our minds, probably right now. And it's both the pain of failures past and the fear of failures yet to occur. Well, Amy's got your back. And fresh off the publication of her latest book, and it's called The Dirty F-Word. Yes, you heard that right. She's going to give you practical advice to help build your confidence around past failures or failures that are sure to come down the road. Amy shares wonderful leadership lessons that come from each chapter of her latest book, and how leaders like you learned from those failures they experienced and, in fact, built greater confidence moving forward and enhanced their ability and successfully accomplish their organization's mission. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 210. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com and you'll find all of the resources Amy and I discussed as well as ways to connect with the great work she's doing at the PBS station here in Charlotte and of course get a copy of her latest or her previous book and in fact some other resources she will share with you toward the end of our conversation. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Amy Burkett. Amy, thank you for joining me on The Path.
1: Hey, Patton, I'm so excited for the opportunity to spend time with you.
0: Well, I am excited about this time together as well, and I'm excited about this conversation because it's so relevant to the nonprofit audience you and I both want to speak to, both current nonprofit leaders as well as those aspiring to leadership And of course, in your leadership journey and the wonderful coaching you do, you are perfectly designed for this conversation. In fact, I'm looking at a wonderful, and I dare say inspiring book right now with a provocative title called The Dirty F Word. Now, the subtitle adds a little more clarity there, Amy, right? Lessons from our failures. Talk about that. Why did you write that book and why maybe even the title in terms of how you brought it together?
1: Oh, Pat, and I'm just grateful that you would spend time with me and and your listeners and all the great advice that you have given them over the years. And so thanks. I feel so honored that I'm in such great company tonight. The dirty F word really came uh, out of a speech. I mentioned a lot in the book that uh, I received my certification as a John Maxwell trainer, speaker, and a coach back in 2012. And in order to get your speaking certification, you had to give a five-minute tabletop speech and I titled it in 2012, The Dirty F Word. (laughs) I had never written a book. Uh, I had spent many years in television as a a broadcast journalist, an award-winning journalist and a leader. And I love what I do and I love inspiring others and I love equipping others because really we have a crisis in leadership in our world today, Patton. And so if we can add value to others, And especially those of us in the nonprofit world, I mean, we're here to serve. And so I wrote this five-minute tabletop speech, and it has gnawed at me forever. And many, you know, 2012 was a while ago. And in 2020, I started writing the book because I knew it could help people. And that was my whole point and my whole objective behind it. I want to help people overcome that fear of failure because research shows the number one fear of leaders... And CEOs specifically around the country is a fear of failure. And I think it's even more difficult for those of us in the nonprofit world because in a public service situation, we care so deeply. Nonprofit leaders are a special breed. You know, they're they they're stronger than others, I think. Their hearts are in the right place. But sometimes that means we fear failure even more. Indeed. And I hope this book is a a way to equip people so that they don't fear that dirty effort. And they really see that failure is a setup for success. If you're not failing, you're not trying anything big enough.
0: Wonderfully put. And we're going to unpack that in several ways, because in fact, your book has 13 distinct lessons. I'd say a multitude of beyond even 13, but 13 distinct areas we can talk about. We'll talk about some of them, maybe not everyone, because I want our listeners to read this. And they can learn even more. Um, You, of course, published a a book prior to this one. It was called The Seven Ds to Your Destiny. I I guess, Amy, was was the dirty F word a natural progression from that? Or kind of, I guess, every book has its own life cycle. Talk about the first one.
1: Yeah, that first book actually came because I teach a career pathways and leadership program uh, in Title I schools in Mecklenburg County. And the first, and I called it the 3D Project, Dreamers, Doers, Destiny. And at the end of the first seven-week course, now, goodness, six years ago, I needed to inspire these young people with some things. So I came up with these little seven Ds. It was a paragraph about seven different things that they should do related to Ds to help them be successful in life. And I'd always wanted to write a book. And I had tried once before and it was horrendous. And I went through the exercise and I threw it in the trash can and deleted it. <laughs> uh, but this time after there were just these paragraphs, I sort of walked off that stage that day and knew there was something in it that I could help people with. And so I wrote that book. And the minute I, I published it in August of 2020, and in January of 2020, I started writing this one.
0: Wow. You're on a roll and you were on a roll. And and well, again, I guess these natural leadership lessons are something you wanted to capture. And not just your one-on-one coaching, but obviously you can share it with an even larger audience. And well, I guess it's an, it leads to the question too, Amy, what experiences, perhaps even failures during your career journey have inspired now the work you're doing today?
1: Oh, Patton, that's such a good question. And I talk about it um, as tenacity. So early in my career, when I was a college student, I had to take an entrance to journalism exam. It was second semester, my freshman year. I got to college all eager, started writing for the school newspaper, was doing pretty well, doing okay in my classes. But this entrance to journalism exam kicked my tail. Uh, I had a roommate who never went to class. She was also (laughs) a journalism major. One of us passed the test. One of us failed it on the first time. Ouch. And, and you know who it was. It was me. And so most people, the saying is, if you don't succeed the first time, try, try again. The third time's the charm. You'll pass. Except for me, it took me five tries to pass that entrance to journalism exam. Then I finally pass it and I get called before the journalism review committee. And I think I'm thrown out before I ever get into the program because, and it was like two weeks, I had to wait for this meeting. And in my head, I called myself every bad name known to mankind. Stupid. Anyone that's stupid as you, Amy, that it took you five tries to pass this doesn't deserve to be a journalist. They're not going to let you in. Those gentlemen uh, called me before that meeting and they said, Amy, you've got the one thing every journalist and every person needs, and that's tenacity. And we're going to eliminate the entrance to journalism exam. No other student will ever have to take it because you've proved to us it really doesn't prove if someone will be successful or not.
0: Good for you. And of course, that tenacity lessens when we all need. But sadly, too many of us, I think, at that first failure, um, either become paralyzed or we just quit, right? And that's what you're trying to help us push through.
1: Absolutely. The worst thing in the world, because sometimes after failure, after failure, what do you learn from it? What lessons? You know, we're going to talk about it. It's those lessons from our failures that are often setups for success. And truly, in my opinion, the only real failure in life is giving up. So as long as you don't give up, you will succeed.
0: Well put. Well, and and you have a particular understanding of where our audience is coming from because you understand the nonprofit sector. In fact, your work in public television, I think, has allowed you to experience all the joy and pain of fundraising and <laughs> nonprofit management and all that. But talk about that experience and how that maybe impacts the coaching and the work you're doing now.
1: So you as a nonprofit Fundraising expert, you know the ebbs and flows of raising raising revenue. And if you can't fund the mission, you don't have a mission. Indeed. And so we have to be able to be tenacious enough, learn from a mistake. We're trying a fundraising uh, style and it's not working. Okay, try something new pivot, adjust, change. The story of life is that the only constant in life is change. And so we as nonprofit leaders have to continually evolve, continually change, continually improve what we're doing. And it's just, it's been hard. So up north, in, uh, I was at the station in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which was part of the Philadelphia um, market. And in 08, 09, during the economic downturn, I had to lay off half, half my team.
0: Oh my gosh
1: broke my heart, never wanted to do that again, but it was through that failing that that lesson prepared me for when the pandemic hit here. I was determined not to have to lay anyone off in the pandemic. So we did something a little unorthodox at PBS Charlotte. We ramped up our work for hire and renting out our studio. To the best of our knowledge, we were one of just a handful of studios open across the country, and we did over a half a million dollars in for-profit business, renting out our studio. People were flying in from San Francisco, Miami, Denver, Detroit, and we protected everyone with masks. We had a a cancellation policy if someone was sick, they didn't have to pay us anything because we didn't want them coming in sick. Not a single person got sick from these outside folks coming in, but we generated enough revenue to pay off the remaining debt that I inherited when I came. And if I hadn't had that failure of having to lay people off in 08, learn how to do different kind of creative fundraising, the traditional, you know, asking people over the air to come to events, it wasn't working because we didn't have events.
0: Exactly right. That so we is had fantastic. To do something
1: and that worked.
0: You found an, an alternative revenue stream, didn't you? A creative Uh, alternative revenue stream. And that's fantastic because I was going to ask you about when you arrived in Charlotte at your current station, uh, there were some challenging issues you were dealing with. And I wonder for those nonprofit leaders who sometimes inherit even more challenges that they were made uh, aware of, you know, when they took the job, (laughs) how did you approach when, you know, you landed, there's challenges in every direction. Talk about that process, I guess, of coming to that leadership role.
1: First, I want to encourage every nonprofit leader and everybody who feels on their hearts that they want to be a nonprofit leader, because I truly believe it's a calling pattern. Indeed. And if you have that calling and then you develop tenacity and then you learn some of these other lessons that we're talking about from failing and not seeing failure as a tombstone to your life, but seeing it as a setup for success of how you can pivot and move on, the station was in really bad shape. Yep. And within a couple of months, Uh, the roof leaked, we were off the air, and I had inherited $1.3 million in debt with no viewers and very few, uh, a very small base of donors to start with. So from there, everything was up. Half of it is our own perspective. And one of the things you mentioned in my other book, The Seven Ds to Your Destiny, the biggest D that I think is important, especially for we nonprofit leaders, is the ability to defeat your own disappointment.
0: Interesting. What do you mean by that? Yeah.
1: So much of our lives, you know, I was thrilled. I was second in charge at my station in Pennsylvania, executive vice president, and I so wanted to lead a station. Well, be careful what you wish for. I got here and everything was a mess. (laughs) Right. And so so I had to learn. I mean, I was disappointed. I was deep down disappointed, but I couldn't just wallow in that. I had to pick myself up every day. And I had to learn how to defeat my own disappointment. I had to learn how to make small steps of improvement and realize that if I could make just one tiny improvement every day, and it could be minuscule, the size yep. of a grain of sand, yes. that I would move forward. And one day we would be in a lot better position than we were the day I got here in May, 2013. And I'm very honored and grateful that our community wrapped around us. We created a service to success mission. I knew the more I served this community, the more successful we would be. And that's proved to, to be very true.
0: Indeed. It has been as a fellow Charlottean, uh, I've seen evidence of the momentum you created. I wonder, Amy, how long did it take, you know, you had momentum, I guess, in some ways, right from the start, even if the, the, uh, surroundings didn't seem as optimistic. How long did it take though, for you to feel like the flywheel began to turn?
1: Three years. Really? So tenacity years. had
0: to have patience too, didn't it?
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's my least favorite P word on the face of the planet, yeah. patience. Because as <laughs> leaders, we see further than other people see. And I could see it so clear, Patton, in my head. But the financials didn't prove it. Our audience ratings didn't show it. But I knew in my heart if I served well... If I led well, if I equipped people, if I genuinely cared about this community, and I deeply do because it's an extraordinary community that deserves an extraordinary public television station. And together we worked to build that, Uh, but I just had to be consistent in that every day, a little bit moving forward, and we watched the ratings go up a little at a time, and then you look back. The best recommendation is when you look back over your life, you see those things that worked and that's the encouragement to help you defeat your own disappointment on the days when you just want to stay under the covers and keep your <laughs> keep your head head under under the pillow.
0: We've all had those days, but again, Absolutely. thanks to encouragement like yours, we get up. And, and I like the way you describe that—even the minuscule progress turns into more, I guess, collective momentum that you can build upon. Uh, All right, let me ask you a personal productivity question. I ask a lot of leaders on this program. Amy, you got a ton of stuff coming at you as a leader, as a coach, and everything in your life. Any particular rituals or routines that help you stay organized?
1: Uh, So I'm an early bird. I get up early in the morning, usually around five. I, I try to exercise most mornings. Sometimes it's nighttime. But if I if I exercise, if I read, I'm a person of faith. I like to read my Bible in the morning. I have that just kind of centering of my life because when I get to the office, it's nonstop go. And and there are days like today where there's not time for lunch and I'm <laughs> grabbing uh, some water in a Slim gym in my car in between meetings. And and next thing you know, it's the end of the day and I have my own consulting business. And so I have coaching clients at night and uh, it, it's so exciting though. It's Uh-oh. just staying organized and and attacking the day with a love for life, because this is the only day that we will have that's Indeed. like today. So let's just live it to the fullest and love everyone in our path and, and believe that everyone's a 10, even if they may not believe that about themselves. We can extend our belief in them to help them grow and equip them to do better.
0: Yeah, beautifully put. Are you a to-do list person, calendar person, you know? Uh, the night before you get organized, the early morning, it sounds like you have a really nice, the 5 a.m. ritual. I'm just, again, interested to hear kind of how you keep it all together.
1: Early morning, for sure, Patton. But the younger Amy was all about making lists. And I wrote <laughs> everything on a list.
0: Yep, I wrote yep.
1: taking a bathroom break on a list. <laughs> I I wrote making a list on the list. All right. But after years of doing that in my early 30s, it's sort of internalized now. Yes, I have a calendar that's very important and I and I double check it every morning. Sundays are a big thing. Like I like to look I like to take Sunday to reflect on the week that has passed and then plan for the week that is ahead coming. Yeah, I love that. And so that taking time to reflect the good, the bad, the ugly on what happened and how I can handle everything that I have in this next week to have hopefully more good and less bad and not so much ugly.
0: I love that. Uh, I have embraced of late in the last few years journaling routine and a prompt that is exactly as you describe. Lessons from the week behind me. What do I need to think about in the week ahead? So it sounds like you have that Sunday ritual as well. Um, Let's talk about your coaching. Indeed, you have been very successful there, as I have heard from folks that have worked with you and how grateful they are. Um, Many of us, including myself, have John Maxwell books on our shelf. Uh, clearly, he has been an inspiration to your work. What does it mean to be a John Maxwell leadership trainer?
1: So we call him Papa John. <laughs> and he is, uh, I believe he just turned 75 years old. He's written more leadership books than anyone on the face of the planet. Last night I saw it was 85.
0: Good grief.
1: And to be with Papa John, I mean, it's just like you read his books And he writes like we're having a conversation right now. And that touched my heart. And so I had read dozens of his books before I ever received my certification in 2012. Again, he sees everyone as a 10. And that's what I wanted to learn. He taught me that you don't search for success in life, that you want to live a life of significance significance is so much more rewarding than success success is just another thing on your to-do list to cross off but if you live a life that's helping others and empowering and equipping others then that's a life well lived and i i learned it in his books and then when i received my certification every year i go back for advanced training with him every august i spend a week with him in orlando florida and he's a special man and i've tried my best to adopt uh, his strategies because they've helped me be successful and if it's helped me then I can help other people and there's nothing more exciting I have a client who uh, runs an Easter Seals a statewide Easter Seals Association in the Midwest and it's I will race home from my day job to make it to help her and there's nothing more fun when she'll be I can be that backstop to help her you know it's so lonely to be a leader sometimes indeed and you have so many things going on to be as a coach. I'm a thinking partner as a coach. I'm a strategist. I'm not telling them what to do. They have it inside. They're just bouncing ideas off me. They're using me as a resource that I can bring together, you know, whether it's my pharmaceutical sales client in New Jersey or this Easter Seals company, you know, I can bring it all together. They're like, do you see this happening elsewhere? And I have that perspective and it helps me on my day job too.
0: It's I can not see easy that. these
1: days. It's hard to find talent. It's yep. hard to bring people in who want to do and serve and work as hard as we did coming up sometimes. But when you find them, you can. And then you can excite them and prepare them to make huge positive impact on the world. And, and that is so incredibly rewarding.
0: Uh it, clearly you bring a passion to that. And and but for those listeners who have never considered a coach, why should they get a coach? If I'm an established leader, let's just say. And I feel like, you know, I've learned much of what I need to learn, but tell me, make a case for having a coach.
1: Absolutely. You've heard the phrase, two brains are better than one. (laughs) Indeed. I don't care how brilliant you are and that we have brilliant leaders all around us in the nonprofit sector. And it's so impressive, but iron sharpens iron. And whether as the coach, you're asking questions that maybe they're just too busy to have had the second to think about, and it gives them the space. And again, as I mentioned, that thinking partner, partner to help sharpen them, to expose resources, to get them thinking. Like I say, I always say they have the answers inside of them. It's not my job to give them answers. I can talk about some different strategies that I've seen work elsewhere, but I can ask the questions. And that's half of me being a journalist as well. I love to ask questions. Good point. So You're very used to the that. Today with you, Pat, and then I could let you ask the questions. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you get to be on the other end of the interview, right? And At least in this case, but you're good on both sides of, of this conversation, of course. What, what's it like to work with you as a coach? Again, for someone who's not used a formal coach, uh, what is that process like? How, how do you set up coaching client relationships?
1: Well, how about is getting to know each other? And so I'm a huge fan of DISC and I have my certification, John Maxwell. He has his own style of DISC. It's called the Maxwell DISC. Personality assessment, and so that's the first step: getting to know them, understanding them. How are they wired? Because they don't have to be wired like me. I need to understand how they're wired so mm-hmm. that I can provide them tools and resources in a way and the strategy in which they think. And so half of it is a, a a time of discovery, and then finding out what do they want to achieve, and how I can best support them. Expose them. Sometimes it'll be a, a book study. We'll pull a book off the shelf and say, "Hey." let's work through this together and make it like a mastermind course. Nice, And so that we can really expand your thinking. Cause this is an area that you mentioned that you'd like to grow in. And I have a resource that could help you grow in that area. And the two of us can, like I said, iron sharpens iron and we get so much better. No matter how sharp you are, we can always do better, right? Continuous improvement is just part of life.
0: Well, of course we're going to link up, you know, opportunities to connect with you as a coach. Um, but is there a duration? I, I, I... I assume it varies as to how long it takes to work with a coach because we're never finished, right, <laughs> as, a, as a person, as a professional. But how do you respond to that when somebody says, all right, I'm thinking about getting a coach. How long should I work with someone?
1: So I always say it. I had a client just reach out to me the other day that she'd been working with another coach. But it it didn't match her personal style. It's not a one size fit all We're all different. And so you need to find, it's a very personal thing. You need to find someone who's kind of wired the way you're wired. And and that's just a really important thing that that you you find that simpatico. Uh, And it's so much fun when you find those people. They're just extensions of yourself. And that doesn't mean that we think the same way, but we have maybe core values that are the same. And that's just, it's just empowering.
0: Well, sometimes it works. And then sometimes I'm guessing you may have a good experience, but you may refer them somewhere else too, right? If it's not quite a fit.
1: Absolutely. Um, I am not the best. I am kind of results driven. And so those who make a lot of excuses, you can can expect if you work with me, I'm going to call you on those excuses. Excuses don't help us. You know, it's got to be, let's, results don't have to work. That's where the failure book is so critical. You don't have to get a positive outcome. You just need to learn something from it. What is your ROF, as one of the chapters talks about? (laughs) That's a perfect segue. Sorry. (laughs) Yes,
0: that's a perfect segue. Because speaking of what what I love about your book of many things, but you lift up some of the wonderful coaching relationships you've had. And, and, And some of these folks have been willing to share their failures and their lessons. And so let's start with that one. You know, I think there are literally 13 different lessons. We won't cover every one of them, but we're going to get our listeners to think about this. What is your ROF, return on failure? What do you mean by that? And and tell us about it even more.
1: Sure. Everybody in the business community, nonprofit, for-profit, you know what an ROI is, your return on investment. But it's not very common that people have heard the phrase ROF. And what's your return on failure? And this chapter comes from, we talk a lot about John Maxwell, but John Maxwell has seven companies. John doesn't run companies. John writes books. And he hired a man named Mark Cole to run his seven companies. And this chapter, I interview Mark Cole, the uh, CEO of Maxwell Leadership. And he is a person of faith. And he tells a story of, of a divorce early in his career. And what a personal failure that that was. But what he learned from that failure, that return on failure, his second marriage with his wife, Stephanie, where he travels the globe with John Maxwell, no goal is worth the sacrifice of leaving the important people of your life out of it. And so he calls his wife, Stephanie, now uh, the chairman of his personal uh, choice committee, and he doesn't go anywhere, fly anywhere without having a conversation with Stephanie. Hey, it's not about competing with family time. It's about completing family time and having an agreement that they realize for him to be successful and to help others in the world, he has to be away a lot, but they talk about it. She knows his itinerary. They've discussed it in advance. Well, if I'm gone for these three weeks, I'll be home. This we will be able to do that. And they're completing their family time. He learned that because he failed at it. In his first marriage.
0: So well put, and and of course, such a good reminder that we've got to start at home, literally. And, and you said it earlier too, Amy, because there's just such a stress sometimes in the nonprofit sector, given the intensity of these social service challenges we're addressing. But all that doesn't mean a thing if if our home life is blowing up. And it sounds like that was a indeed a lesson learned there. Um,
1: Absolutely, and and. And if you don't have the strength to get up in the morning to know that that you've got a partner on the other side of this, right? It's kind of hard to come home at night.
0: Indeed, and it, it's going to be lonely at work, and it's going to be lonely at home too. And if we if we're not cultivating those relationships on both sides, uh, let me ask you about another one that I I'm imagining, of course, unnamed leaders that uh, you might as well that pride comes before a fall. And I think there are a lot of leaders that are overconfident and have that pride. But talk about the lessons in that chapter, if you would, please.
1: So, my dear friend, Greg Storch, uh, is a Navy officer. And I like to call him an officer and a gentleman. But he works for the USO in Vicenza, Italy. He also has his Maxwell certification as a trainer, speaker, and coach. And he shared with me this story how when he was in the Navy, he was sort of Mr. Navy. He won all these awards. He was doing fantastic. He was advancing faster than other people who came in at the same time. And he thought he was all that and a bag of chips. And it (laughs) was time for him to put in his application to become an officer. He didn't ask anyone for help because he was Navy, uh, and I'm not going to say sailor of the year. He thought it was a
0: done deal. He thought it was easy, right?
1: I'm sailor of the year. I win everything. I can do this. And he failed. And he he wasn't promoted on his first attempt at putting in his packet to be an officer. And what that taught him, that humbled him so much. He shares the story in the book so much better than I'm doing right now. But it taught him that it's not about you. And then he has another part of that chapter that goes from being selfish to selfless. I'm going to encourage people to read that uh, because it really is a special, special thing how he learned how to go from being very selfish in his life to being selfless.
0: Well put, again, and that's why these lessons are so relevant because, again, we've all come across that, uh, maybe those points in our lives where we felt like we had it all figured out, and, Mm -hmm. and it can come crashing down in a hurry, can't it?
1: The more confidence you have, the more problems you will have. Yep. I mean, you don't want to be so paranoid that you you are constantly looking over your shoulder, but a healthy skepticism of how can I be better or that commitment to continuous growth pattern. I think that's so much what it is. We will, if I live to be 112, I will never arrive. I'm constantly learning and growing and our world is changing so much. I have to learn digital marketing. I have to learn that and the other thing. And that keeps me humble.
0: Well, your humility is evident. And I do think that is a wonderful characteristic of the best leaders I've seen, who uh, acknowledge they've never arrived and they want to keep learning. And that's somebody you want to work for too, right? You're modeling behavior that I think is going to make folks want to work with and for you. Um, another chapter, Amy, I loved. And again, we talk a lot in the nonprofit section about vision and you make the the headline there. Don't let the blind proofread your vision. Tell me about that.
1: Oh my gosh, thanks for picking that one. It's one of my absolute favorite. This is my friend, Dave Gambrell. And Dave Gambrell is a digital marketing genius who used to be a pharmaceutical salesman. He was one of the best pharmaceutical salesmen in his company, winning awards. And he had won this award and he's sitting in a hot tub. I believe it was Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Okay. Miserable. Saying, really? I don't want to do this anymore. He's making a boatload of money, but he was not fulfilled. See, that's what I mentioned earlier about living a life focused on success instead of significance. And he, when he asked his friends, you know, his parents, everyone like, you can't leave this wonderful job where you're making a lot of money yeah. as a pharmaceutical salesman. You just want a trip to Cabo. You, you drive a free car. But he was miserable on the inside. But he was asking the wrong people to proofread his vision. He needed to follow entrepreneurs. He got involved with Tony Robbins. He got involved with John Maxwell. He got involved with these people that taught him that life was about significance, and, but not about success. And those are the people you have to seek out the people who do what you want to do rather than well-meaning family members who just think you're crazy for giving up a full-time job with benefits and some perks like great, great holidays and vacations. But life's too short to be miserable, no matter how many trips to Cancun you can take.
0: So well put. And how many of us are, frankly, letting other people determine what is success for us when, in fact, you're telling us we can't be listening to that, right? We need to it's listen to about our own the money. heart. Right. Well, clearly anyone listening to this podcast in the nonprofit <laughs> sector didn't go into this for the money. But it's so good to hear you encourage that because you're right. Maybe they do think about jumping to for-profit some days. But your friend there certainly exemplifies that just because you're making a lot of money doesn't mean you're happy. Right. And so I'm glad you're lifting of it up. the
1: most miserable people I know are some of the wealthiest people I know.
0: That's sad but true. Uh, I would agree. All right, here's another chapter, Amy, that I wanted to lift up to you. Of course, it's an easy title to grab, always be prepared. And in the nonprofit, ever-changing world that you've lived and I've lived and many lived, but talk about some of the lessons of failure, maybe around always be prepared.
1: So you know this oh so well, Patton, because when the opportunity comes to you, you don't have time to prepare. Opportunities come in an instant. And this chapter is an interview with a dear friend, her young woman, her name is Allie Dobbins, and she was in my 3D project. So she's one of those students who came uh, from that career pathways and leadership program that I talked about.
0: Full circle, right? Yeah.
1: She, I just fell in love with her the first day she opened her mouth. She dreamed of being, dreams, excuse me, she's currently in college at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro to be an actress and she's involved in this young leaders organization and she got to meet an actor whose name not hill is his last name i forget his first name but he's on the good doctor
0: okay and
1: she asked a question and he said what do you want to do she goes i want to i want to sing and i want to act and he says sing me a song right now and she froze
0: wow
1: and she could not do it and she said she sang everywhere all over the all over the house all over right. down, down the halls of, co- of school she never had stage fright a day in her life but speaking of it i believe his name's hill harper
0: yeah yeah uh,
1: that he's in the good doctor and he said well guess what you don't know we had producers in the audience who this could have been your big break you could have gone straight to broadway but because you choked Ugh, you'll never that's, know
0: that's harsh But for a
1: 19-year-old young woman to learn that lesson at a very young age, she will never be in her life unprepared. And again, she's a genius of a young woman. She speaks fluent Japanese. My goodness. I interviewed her on my YouTube channel, and you can hear her speak Japanese. And I called her on it, and I said, sing me a song. And she sang an Adele song (laughs) that was out of this moon, because I just wanted to make sure she'd learned the lesson.
0: I'm so impressed. And again, because as I reacted to the story, I'm like, my gosh, I'd never want to act again, you know, given that kind of failure. But indeed, she turned it around completely. And so that's why, again, that's your point, isn't it, in each of these stories?
1: Every story, setups for success, what we learn in our failure, especially when we're younger, but you know, I'm not so young anymore, Patton, and I'm still (laughs) failing forward. There and that's go. what's so exciting because I learned a lot the difference between writing my first book and my second book. And so, and the third book and the fourth book will be coming, and, and I'll learn more every time. John Maxwell taught me, you're never good at anything the first time you do it. So just keep trying. More
0: reason to keep I, I like moving. To
1: quote The very wise little fish in Finding Nemo from Disney just keep swimming, just keep swimming. That's there so much life, learning from our failures.
0: Well, this is fantastic. I got all right, one more for you, then we'll close this. Uh, I hear your coaching voice in this headline. Forget the rocking chair, get to work. Talk about what you mean by that.
1: Oh, my dear friend, Ann from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, is, I believe, 62 years old, and she got laid off during the pandemic. She had been an accountant her entire career but her passion was making films and she knows Dan Roebuck uh, who had been in Lost and and a million other amazing he's a huge actor Uh, and so Dan would bring films to Bethlehem Pennsylvania to make independent films and she worked on those films and she could have retired but she had unleashed her passion and she is currently making films with Dan Roebuck uh, that are going to film festivals and doing well at 62 years old when she had never had anything but a assistant credit in an independent film before. And now look at how she felt like she, you know, accounting wasn't her first passion. How do you make a film if you can't pay for it? There you go. That accounting experience is helping her do the fundraising she needs to be able to produce films. And she is wildly, she is seeing more success now in her 60s than she ever saw in her entire life. And so it doesn't matter how young you had the Ali Dobbins example of a 19-year-old no, young woman, right. and Anne Nur in her 60s of losing her job, but she wasn't going to get in the rocking chair. She has too much life, but the best is yet to come unless we just want to sit in a rocking chair. And I don't know, that doesn't sound that exciting to me.
0: Couldn't agree more. I'm motivated just listening. Let's close with this one, Amy. Changing what ifs to what is. That is your closing chapter. And I'm guessing for a good reason. But what do you mean by that?
1: So people need to understand why they fear failure. I mentioned early on 91% of CEOs fear failure, but it's not a fear that, you know, okay, I made a mistake. It really is, am I not enough to overcome that failure? And it is an internal, very personal thing. And so if you, I'm sure we, any listener can feel this. How many times have you said, well, what if I can't do it? What if I fail? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not young enough? What if I'm not pretty enough? What if I'm not smart enough?
0: There's an insecurity, right? And in all that.
1: We all have it because we're human. If you're human, A, you're going to fail and B, you're going to have some level of insecurity. But if we change our what ifs to what is, what do you know about yourself? You know, you know that you have success in whatever area. I know that I have overcome so many failures in my life. And that early failure of me learning tenacity helps me be able to, I'd say, make calculated Attempts. You don't want to, you know, lose millions of dollars. But sure. Mark Cole in his chapter talks about losing $1.5 million on a book launch of John Maxwell's, his book, Intentional Living. They had a plan. They they lost a million and a half dollars and they came back from it and they learned from it. And they were more successful because of it. Now, I don't know a lot of people who could lose a million and a half dollars <laughs> no. and, and 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 do keep it, going, he, Right, he owns that as well. So what do you know? What is true? You know, I'm a person of faith. I like to say you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're smart. We're adaptable. We can make a difference. We look back over our lives and we can see the diff- positive impact we've had on our career, on other people. And that's what it's all about. So we can move forward. Get rid of the what ifs. Focus on what is in your life And how you've learned from even little failures in the past and how you can build on that and have a bigger positive impact on everyone you come in contact with. And if we spread that kind of joy and that kind of impact in the world, just one person at a time, what a better world we can all make together.
0: Wonderfully put, Amy, as you have done throughout this conversation. I had no doubt and I'm delighted to share all these takeaways. I've got notes all over my uh, script here, if you will. And so glad that you were able to add to it. And it's clear to me in your mindset, we're either succeeding or we're learning. There's not success Absolutely. and failure, right? We're succeeding or we're learning. And you're a wonderful embodiment of that principle. Um, it-
1: you're amazing, Patton. Thank you. I can't believe <laughs> it's taken us it so long to connect because I've heard every good thing about you and love your podcast. And it's such an honor to be on your podcast. And so thank you. I just want to say, John Maxwell has a book. He says, it's it's called... Sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. And that's a great book of his as well.
0: Either way, you're in good in good standing. Well, in fact, that leads to a, a final parting gift, if I might ask, Amy, of you. Uh, and of course, Maxwell alone, would you say 85 of his books? Yeah. But is there one book that maybe comes to mind that you would recommend to our listeners if they want to start their reading journey with your recommendation?
1: So I, I've talked about several Maxwell books. So I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to add a Patrick Lencioni book. Good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive by Patrick Lencioni.
0: That's one I have not read. I've read several of his, but tell me why you like that one so much.
1: Yeah, he has Death by Meeting. He has Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Exactly. He's a very prolific uh, New York Times bestselling author. But The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive, it really is about connecting to people. And it's different than just, yes, we have to handle financial things as a CEO, but if we lose character, there's no coming back from that. And so it talks a lot about character and of course, several other things, because it's the four obsessions. (laughs) And I want you to read it uh, because it really is, it's such a quick read. He writes what he calls leadership fables. Right. And so it's like two thirds of the book is just like you're reading a novel. And then the last 30 goes back and kind of reinforces the principles throughout. So if you've never read a Patrick Lencioni book, I think I think your audience would enjoy it.
0: Love them. Uh, and so glad to add that one to my list. And, and again, encourage our listeners to check it out as well, as well as checking out both of your books, Amy. Uh, we'll have them linked up in the show notes. So let's finish with that. Where can our listeners find out more about you and the great work you're doing?
1: Well, again, you're so kind and I so appreciate this opportunity to share and hopefully encourage and inspire you and your audience Uh, My website, AmyBurkettConsulting.com. If folks are interested and they want to receive my weekly, I send out a weekly inspirational leadership tip every Monday. And so it's free. They could sign up there and, and enjoy a little free inspiration and motivation. And I would love to connect with them.
0: Fantastic, Amy. We will link it all up in the show notes. I encourage our listeners to check it out. And thank you one more time for joining me on the path.
1: Uh, I love your path. It's such a good path, Pat. And thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate you.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amy as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas to help you reassess maybe some of the failures you've already experienced and strengthen your confidence to deal with the failures that will inevitably happen to all of us. Don't forget about the show notes available. They are on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You just go to the podcast page, find episode number 210, and you can learn more about Amy, her great coaching and consulting work. And, of course, find out how you can get a copy of her book, The Dirty F Word. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Just go to the podcast page at com, and you'll see the follow button. And that will assure that you don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And of course, if you like this one, click on the episodes button at the top of that page and you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes or search by topic or guest name. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.